that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of your Son at Calvary that allows us access with boldness into the throne room of heaven. Thank you for your love that you have given to us, shed abroad upon our hearts so abundantly. We honor you, we praise you, we love you, we thank you for who you are. And we ask this morning that you be present in our midst as we look into your word and that you speak to our hearts, guide and instruct us in the way in which we should go. May our hearts bow before your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are in Matthew 27, and we've been talking a lot about the king and his kingdom. And here we are in a place where the king gets crucified, the sacrifice of the kingdom of heaven. And certainly it was it's not what we would as humans think of as being the way to end a successful career, would it? By natural standards, it didn't look so good. Natural standards, it really looked bad, actually. But yet, it was, even though, but naturally, it looked really bad. It was the greatest victory, the greatest triumph of the ages. And I, I just can't say this enough. Heaven measures success differently than this earth measures success. This earth's measure of success is people and money and possessions, but not heaven's standard. Jesus had no possessions, no money, and he had what? His friends left him, betrayed him, denied him. His life ended in the most despicable, horrible way a man's life could end, and yet, it was the triumph of the ages. And so we must remember that success in this world and accolades in this world and comfort in this world, it's not our goal. It's not the measure of God's approval necessarily. And yet men would have us believe that. If you are blessed, then you have Gold and silver and houses and lands and cars and boats and etc. 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 And that's who's blessed. That's not God's measure of success. That's not God's standard. It says He'll provide for His people and He will. But it doesn't mean that <laughs> necessarily if He does bless you with a lot of stuff, then it's for His for 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 kingdom use. It's not for, it's not just to hoard it up. Because the man who hoarded up his stuff, it says, Jesus said, thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. That's not the measure of success. And I'm sorry, but you know, these TV evangelists who are amassing enormous wealth unto themselves, that's not the measure of success in God's, in God's kingdom. Here we see Jesus in his last hours, the king. He was the king of heaven, the king of glory. He spoke and the world came into existence. He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And yet here he is at the end of his life, giving himself a sacrifice for you and for me. It's amazing. No, he wasn't an old man. 
No, not at all. In the prime of life, what we would say was he was in the prime of life. And he became the sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Wow, what an amazing, what an amazing truth to embrace. I don't think we ever get tired of meditating, contemplating what a sacrifice Jesus gave in giving his life for our sin. It's really, we can't, we can't comprehend it. It's beyond our comprehension. And yet it was because he loved, he loved his father, his father and he loved the love that they had towards humanity that we would be able to come into relate back into relationship. What such love, such love, right? Well, again, you know, uh, again, God is the provider, and if if He chooses to use us, that's fine. But if not, that's okay too. We don't have to be concerned. He's the God of provision, and He can. He's Elijah. He sent him out to uh, wherever, and a raven came and fed him. It didn't matter. You know, the, the Israelites were out in the wilderness where there were no food stores. He sent bread down out of the sky. God's measure of success is different than man's measure of success. We're not here just to amass a fortune for ourselves. And so, God help us. Let's look at the Word. Bend the soldier to verse 27 in, in chapter 27. We had just come where they screamed out to him to release Barabbas. Of Matthew 27, actually, we'll start at 26. Here, Barabbas was a notable criminal. Notable criminal. Killed, had killed many people, and they knew he would do it again. And yet, we see the mob. In a mob scene, people will scream out what they have no idea. Oh, what they're, what they're screaming. They just, then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Here we see him being treated in a way that is just the meaning, yes. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. I mean, we don't do that to our animals, never mind a person. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, and mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. That was to try and numb the pain. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And you know, we read it quickly, but it was intense, immense pain and suffering. Mm. Unfathomable, right? We can't even fathom it. And then they, they, then they gambled for his, his clothes. It's, it's amazing what the human heart is capable of. And sitting down, they watched him there. 
can you imagine such a thing? Could you sit down and watch a man suffer in agony? It's pretty, pretty amazing. And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. Now these men were actually criminals and were suffering for their own misdeeds. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. You know, here we see what happens when we harden our hearts. They had had the King of Glory sitting with them in the synagogue, teaching them, healing the sick, raising the dead, deaf ears being opened, blind eyes being made to see. Every imaginable miracle, the bread multiplied, every imaginable miracle. You think miracles are going to convince people and change their hearts? Forget about it. <laughs> if, if, it wouldn't ha if it wouldn't do it to these people who, who had Jesus right there, visible in their midst, don't think that necessarily more miracles is going to convince people to believe in Jesus. It didn't even happen in his day. They're standing there having seen all the miracles and mocking him, hanging on. I mean, that, just just think about that. Having seen all the miracles he did, being able to stand at a cross where a man is dying, mocking him? I mean, it's really inhumane. <laughs> Inhumane, inhumane treatment, absolutely. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and builds in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him said with the scribes and elders, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and he, we will believe him. You think they would have believed him? He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Same old devil, isn't it? If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. What did he say to Eve? Hath God said? Oh, did God really say that? If those are God's words. The same in our lives. The battle is always to really believe whether God is really true or not, and whether he is, and whether he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Is God true? Is he faithful? Is he trustworthy? He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. He said, I'm the son of God. The enemy's tactics haven't changed. And it tells us that we're supposed to be uh, aware. We're supposed to be aware of his tactics and not fall for them over and over and over again. Every time we get in distress, we can't fall apart and say, oh, I don't know if God's going to help me this time. No. We've got to get to a place where we say, whew, this is not good, but I know you're trustworthy. God, I believe you. Lord, I believe you. Help my unbelief. If you're wavering, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, help me to stand against the wiles of the devil. I know he's a liar. I know he's foul fiend. But I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. I've commi What have we committed? We've committed our lives. We've committed all that we have to him. Do we believe that he is faithful? Yeah. 
Our life needs to demonstrate it in the hard times, yeah. not just in the good times. It's easy to go around shouting and telling people what they should have, would have, oughta, could have done. But when you're in the hard place, are you trusting God? That's what he's looking for. He's looking at our hearts. And he's looking to see where do our hearts go when push comes to shove. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Imagine the audacity. You'd be dying, dying on a cross and mocking somebody else yet? It's amazing. Now, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we know that... This was the thing that Jesus dreaded the most was that separation from his father. He and his father were one. He said, I do always those things that please the father. And to take on the sin, your sin and my sin, meant separation from the father. And that was the worst, that was the ultimate sacrifice for him to have to make, separation from his father and his glory. Wow. And some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elijah, they were just being goofy because they understood what he said. They were mocking. They were, again, they were mocking. And straightway one of them ran, took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. We, you know, when someone is suffering that we love, what do we usually, what, what happens when, Usually when someone is suffering that we love, there's an outpouring of compassion and, and emotion and feeling. And what do we have here? I mean, it's really, it's mind-boggling. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, and other Gospels, if you put the Gospels together, you know here that he cried out, It is finished! Into thy hands I commit my spirit. What was finished? Not just his earthly life, but the the sacrifice. The, he was the last sacrifice, the last sacrifice of blood that had to be shed for your sins and mine. The last sacrifice for sin. No more shedding of blood. The ultimate sacrifice has been has been made. And now, because of that sacrifice, you and I can enter in to relationship. We don't have to shed blood. Everyone who lived before that had to shed blood in order to approach God. Everyone. Everyone who lived before that moment had to shed blood in order to approach God. And we don't have to shed blood. His blood was shed so that you and I could enter in. Amazing. It's just wonderful. I don't think we fully understand it. Or appreciate it. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I don't usually ponder on that too much, but when he died, it rent. It rents the earth. It not only rents the veil in the temple. Of course, the veil in the temple kept everybody out. 
except for the high priest once a year. So now that rent from top to bottom, signifying God rent, God destroyed it, God opened it, so that we could come in to the Holy of Holies. And not only did that rip apart, but it says here the earth quaked. You know, we've had some some big earthquakes in the world in the last year or so, haven't we? And we've seen some of the, even around here, buildings shook last year. Remember that? It shook the heavens, it shook the earth, it shook everything. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. <laughs> and came out of the graves after Israel, and went in, and into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. It was a little late, wasn't it? <laughs> but even, at least it made them think. And many women were there beholding afar off. Now we see that there were some faithful ones. And they were just afar off. A crucifixion scene was no place for the women to be, of course. Which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulchre. Now the next day that followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Now they remembered what he had said. (laughs) The disciples were having trouble remembering, but they remembered what he had said. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. We see here an uneasiness, don't we? We see here a fear. Not not too many people, after someone's dead, worry about them coming back out of their grave. <laughs> I mean, you know, hello. They had seen him die. He was, he was laid away in a cave, and now they're gonna, they're gonna send soldiers to guard a, a grave? Do you, do you see how absurd this is? How ridiculous this is? It, 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 it defies all, all human reasoning. Who, who sends guards out into the cemetery to guard the graves, make sure the people don't come out? <laughs> Right? I mean, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. He dismissed them. He thought they were a bunch of nuts, I think, at this point. So they went and made sepulcher secure, sealing, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Sealing the stone. Foolish, huh? What mankind will do, what our hearts are capable of doing um, when we allow the enemy to direct and rule and take over. They had certainly let the enemy use them as instruments to 
kill the Lord of glory. And now they even are worried about um, sealing his grave. It's, it's humorous on the one hand and sad on the other. As if they could keep him in the grave if he was going to rise. Was a stone going to keep him? A, a, a sealed stone going to keep him in the grave? All right, so I guess we'll go on here. We still have a little time. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now here we understand that when they laid him in the, in the, in the, in the tomb, and it was like a cave, when they uh, wrapped him up and put him in there, it was the preparation of the Sabbath. So normally they would have taken that linen and his body and wrapped it with certain spices and herbs and and prepared it, uh, taken their time to prepare it correctly. But because it was preparation of Sabbath, they couldn't do that. And on the Sabbath day, they, um, you know, they weren't allowed to, to handle a dead body, etc., etc. So they just quickly had put him to rest. And then they, the women thought, in the women's mind, that wasn't finished business, okay? This was their Lord and Master. They were gonna, they were gonna take care of him the right way and give him a proper burial. They weren't gonna let that go. That wasn't okay with them. That's, that's how women are, okay? That wasn't finished. That wasn't finished business. They were gonna see to it. They were gonna do whatever they could. That was their Lord. They loved him. They truly loved him. They were devoted to him. It says they followed him. They followed him everywhere they went. They followed him and they ministered to him, saw to his needs, made sure he had food to eat, his clothes were taken care of, etc., etc. There were these women followed him all through his his ministry. They weren't just and even even to the end here. And so here it was, and it was the beginning of the day, early dawn, comes Mary Magdalene. Now remember, Mary Magdalene was a woman who had been delivered from demonic oppression and from demons, yes, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, another earthquake, another one, another earthquake. We read it quickly. But great. For, but, it says great earthquake. Yes, yes, at the cross, at the time when Jesus died, and now here, as he rises, there's another great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. So the men could seal it up all they want, but they're not going to stop the angels from heaven from rolling back the stone, are they? And in another, oh yeah, it tells us here, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Those guards... They couldn't stand before the, the brightness of the angel. The brightness of the angel. It terrified them, made them fall down and pass out. <laughs> brave, brave, brave guards they were, huh? And the angel answered and said to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Hallelujah. He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. 
So here we see that the women who faithfully followed him are the first to hear and see that uh, something's different here. We don't have a body to tend to. He's not there anymore. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, it really should read, oh joy! (laughs) I think after the resurrection, Jesus had a lot of fun. (laughs) He had a lot of fun surprising his disciples, popping in through doors and and walls and, and appearing here and there. Jesus had a lot of fun with them. He knew how scared they were. And of course, he... He spent time with them, explaining the scriptures to them. It tells us that, telling them this is how it had to be, and this is what this meant, and I fulfilled it, and this is what this meant, and I fulfilled it. They understood it. They got it, because after the Holy Spirit was outpoured upon them, the testimony of others was they turned the world upside down. They understood. They got it. Jesus met them, saying, Oh, joy! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Hallelujah. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now they were afraid. They were always locking themselves up in, in, a, in a room. They were afraid to go out. They were afraid that there were next, the next people that were going to be coming after were them. They were going to be the next ones hanging on crosses, and, and, and they were afraid. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, saying, say ye to his disciples, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And it, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Corruption, we see, was all the way back there, right? Now, the other part of this is that his resurrection is one of the most undisputed things in history because so many people saw him alive after the resurrection. And it's not disputable. So, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We have a living Savior. Yes, he died the most horrible death imaginable by mankind. Yet, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Hallelujah. We have a living Savior. Every other form of religion and worship involves a dead leader and an entombed an entombed leader. But we don't have an entombed leader. We don't have a shrine we go to worship. We have a living Savior, and that's why it's so essential that we place our trust in Him in the good times and in the bad times, because He's alive. It's not a it's not a cunningly devised fable that we follow. He's a living Savior. He's real, and we've all had times in our lives where we have known in the depths of our being that He's real. He's revealed Himself to us in some way, shape, or form, and we are sure that He is real. And so we've got to cling to that in the worst of times. When we feel like we're drowning in a sea of, of emotion, depression, oppression, circumstances, when we feel like we're drowning, we've got to remember God is true. 
God is faithful. He will bring me out of this somehow. I don't know how, but he will bring me out. He's faithful. He's true. He's looking for that in our hearts that we will say, yes, I know you are there. I know you are true. Bring me through. Grasp his hand. That's our part. And so may he find us true and faithful all the way to the end. It says that we need to endure to the end, right? There's points in our life that are so awful that we're like, all right, God, this is it. You know, it's enough. Take me out of here already. (laughs) No, that's not our call, is it? Our times are in his hands. And we need to be faithful and endure unto the end. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And now this is, of course, we only have pieces here. We don't have the whole thing. In between, we know he... He came into the upper room and he broke bread with them. He said, here, touch me, handle me, feel me, see that I'm alive, I'm I'm real, I'm real. And he ate with them. He said, a spirit, if I was just a ghost, uh, I wouldn't be eating with you. And he ate and broke bread with them. And then it says that he opened the scriptures to them and taught them and showed them how it had to be that the Son of Man would suffer and die. And he appeared and tells us in Acts, he appeared to over 500 people and um, just it was it was really a, a miraculous time. I'm sure the disciples never forgot. That was when he saw Mary Magdalene, the, the first. He was he was ascending to his father, and well, that's what it says. He went in and presented. He was the sacrifice. So the the tabernacle in heaven was was sanctified by his blood, just as the animal sacrifices sanctified and took care of sin on earth. His sacrifice and his blood took care of sin as far as heaven, in heaven's tabernacle, where, as far as heaven was concerned. Hallelujah. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <laughs> and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we have his promise that he's with us always. And we're part of that kingdom, the king and his kingdom. It's been wonderful, wonderful study. Hallelujah. We'll continue to follow him all the way. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for becoming the sacrifice for our sin. We so thank you. Hallelujah. We don't deserve it, but yet you did, you gave. You gave yourself. And we are so thankful that you rose again and that you do ever live to make intercession for us. How we love you. How we love you. Help us to be witnesses and to be good and faithful servants until you come that will endure to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.